0: Good to be with you all. For those who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I am the lead pastor here at Emanuel, and uh, it's great to get to come and, and share with you. Today we're going to be talking about what do we do in Transition. We're living during a time of transition. And and when I say transition, I don't just mean a time of change. I mean, we're, we're always in a time of change. Things are always changing. But what's happening at this moment in our world, in our culture, in our church, and probably in a lot of our personal lives, is that we're finding ourselves in sort of a time between times. There's one social commentator who calls the time we're living right now the gray zone and I think that's sort of an an apt color and an apt sort of way of putting what we're feeling he talks about how for a lot of what's going on in the world there's just this nebulousness how there's sort of a, a sense that there's a lacking of structure and rules and that we find things confusing disorienting and it's difficult to understand where we're going can you resonate with that i certainly can i mean as we look broadly speaking i mean we can see how world powers are shifting as we look all around broad and near we see that world views are changing Individual values, corporate values, countries values, whole people groups are, are seeing shifts in, in where they want to go. And I think we all recognize things aren't going back to the way they, they were, but they're also not going to stay the way things are. We've seen huge shifts like the Great Resignation. People who have just said, you know what, I'm going to leave this place of work or or this form of vocation to go and do something else. And as that's continued to roll, now we're in the midst of the great migration. People from all over the world moving and being transient. Lots of people we know are moving from places of urban centers and busyness to, to moving places that are more affordable, perhaps greater access to recreation and a, a better pace of life. And, and as all this change is happening, it's as if we're living in between two times, what we once know and what we are going to come to. Even as we consider the world of the Christian faith, we see that things are changing and we're not quite sure what's next. Just recently, a study was published by World Vision and Barna called the Connected Generation Study, and it revealed that even the way people think about things like faith are changing. For instance, over the last 20, 30, maybe 40 years, the forefront of the mind has been is Christianity logical? Like, is there a reason why we can trust in this? And so we've built a lot of our own sense of understanding about our faith, our own sense of how we're going to reach people around what's called apologetics or the defense of our faith. But what's interesting is in this study as they surveyed uh, people 18 to 35 from the periods of 2018 to 2021. They found out that that was no longer the question. In fact, the question has become almost never about whether or not Christianity is true, but is Christianity good? Sixty percent of Canadians age 18 to 35 have now said that they believe the goodness of Christianity matters more than its truth. And this has left us in this place where we're even wondering as a church, how do, how do we address these things? Where, where are we going to go? How do we start to tackle this issue of, of the changing landscape of our church? Transition is everywhere in our personal lives and at the world at large. And I think I can speak for all of us in saying it's a little bit disorienting. And so we want to know where do we go? But I think there's even a deeper question there is, how do we even start by addressing that question? How do we go about answering that? Well, today we're looking at a piece of scripture that tells not just a piece of church history, but it provides us an opportunity to see how the early church went about being faithful and fruitful during a season of transition and how they were able to address the questions that arose during this time of transition. If you've got a Bible, I would love for you to join me in Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. And and here we're going to look at something that's sort of overlooked. This is a section that often gets sort of breezed on by. We often look at the first part of Acts chapter 1 where, where Jesus has come back and he's teaching his disciples and then he ascends to heaven. And then we like to jump over to what we're going to be looking at next week, which is pentecost where the holy spirit comes and moves in the in the early church but but here in between those events the disciples find themselves in an unusual transition their leader's gone they've been told to wait they don't know exactly what they're supposed to anticipate and so they lean in on a couple particular practices to help them through transition So let's read together Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 26. So Jesus is ascended, they've been sent back, and it says this, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, which is a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, which was a group numbering about 120, and he said this, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number. He shared in our ministry. Then with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, all his intestines spilled out, and everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Acheldama—that that is the field of blood. Peter goes on and he says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let no one dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living amongst us. We want him from being at the beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. So then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. One of the big challenges, as I said, of, of coming into a season of transition is this question of, uh, of where do we go? How do we begin to make decisions? What 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 do we do to to figure out what to do next? Who's a pros and cons list maker? Yeah, there's some of us, right? We're we're pros and cons list makers, and so whether we do it verbally or we we do it by writing down, we write down the good things about a decision and the possible negative things about a decision, and then you kind of weigh it up and figure out which one is best, and then you make the decision from there. Well, the problem in this time for those of us who are pros and cons list makers is that we don't necessarily know what the pros and cons are. We're waiting in this season of anticipation and we go, I don't know which way this road's going to go and what's really down this trail. How many of you are verbal processors? This is me. Verbal processor, I, I, I got to go, I got to talk everything out. You can ask my wife, my family, our staff. I mean, I go and I, I got to talk it through to figure things out. And I love to, to be challenged by and hear the voices of others to help me wrestle through. Well, that's really great in an established season of life where there's people who know what's going on and know where things are going to go. It's a lot different when you start to have conversation and everyone's just like, oh. I mean, we just had our, our fellowship convention here all week and we were talking about a reimagining where we were going to go and as, a, as a group of churches. And while we had some answers, there was a whole lot of, oh. So we have a challenge here. Anyone a gut-led person? You just go with the gut? There's some of us who are. We just get that instinctual, Ugh! I know what to do, and I know where I'm going to go. It's that feeling deep down inside that drives us forward. But what do you do when your gut just goes wishy-washy, when it just doesn't have this sense of stability? You know, all these different types of approaches have their pros and cons. They have advantages and disadvantages in different seasons and in dealing with different sorts of situations. But the problem that arises in a season of transition is they all come flat. I believe the early church knew this and after having been challenged by Jesus to go to a specific place and wait on him for the Holy Spirit what, what God was doing was preparing his early church and by extension those of us who would read and understand how he works he's preparing us for knowing how to deal with these times of transitions. And so what the early church did is they didn't just go, okay, we're going to wait on Jesus and we're going to pick a few options and and this group's going to go with their gut and this group over here is going to go with their pros and cons list and and this group here is going to talk about it until Jesus returns. No, they didn't do that. They said, what we're going to do is we're going to get together and we're going to pray and we're going to spend time in God's word. And from there, we're going to see where we have to go. At this point in the story, we see that the early church has been established. And and Jesus, while he's originally amassed 12 followers, saw another 70 who came in behind that. And here, by the time this has come, we see that he's gone and and he's shown himself after his death and resurrection to 500 more. And the church has grown to 120. And and so they go from where they were gathered with Jesus up back to the upper room. Mm -hmm. And there they begin to wait. Jesus said, wait on my Holy Spirit. But the church gathered and they began to pray. Now, I don't know everything that happened in that room, but I think there's a lot that we can learn. The very first thing that we need to learn is that everybody in the family of believers needs to be present at prayer. One of the really cool things that happens in this passage is that Luke mentions the fact that there were women gathered in that upper room. Now, to some of us, that might not seem like a very big deal, but in Luke's day, this was huge. It's a big deal because at the time, women were not given a voice. You couldn't be a witness to something. You couldn't be a leader in something if you were a woman in Jesus' day. Your, Your role was downplayed to being what it could be in the home. But this wasn't the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus was to invite women to be a significant part of his ministry. We know that Mary and Martha and his own mother Mary and a number of others gathered and, and, and worked with Jesus as he advances gospel while he was still on earth. But, but here, as, as he's gone, his followers continue to do the very same thing. And I love that Luke includes the women because it tells us that everyone's voice is needed at the table. Luke follows Jesus' example by elevating this role. And he says, you know what? These women and men, they gathered together to seek what God would want. And those women and men together would pray, they would study scripture, and they would select the next godly leader who would lead them to where they would go. And so we read in verse 14, so they all joined together constantly in prayer not really knowing uh, what to do, they, they, they prayed, and, but they didn't just sort of randomly pray. They didn't just sort of have a, a couple people praying over here and a, a couple people praying over there, and they did it sort of as they felt like it. They got together and prayed constantly. One of the really interesting things, if you, if you were to know the Greek, was this, this word together doesn't mean that they were physically in one room. The word literally translated means that they were with one mind or one passion. So together they became unified in where they were going and what they were seeking from God. And they devoted themselves to that constantly. They didn't just have one prayer meeting and then Called it quits until Jesus showed up over a month, le- or the Holy Spirit shows up a month later. They devoted themselves to the regular engagement with one another around the things that mattered most to all of them and the mission that Jesus would call them on, and they prayed. You know, I think for a lot of us in seasons of transition, we, we do one of two things. The first is that we might rush in to solve the problem. I'm a problem solver. I mean, any, anybody has an idea, I find every single problem with it, and then I go and try to solve it. But that's not what Scripture outlines as being the way to go in transition. The way to go is not to run out and solve all the problems, but to stop and talk to the one who can truly solve the situation, the only one who knows where things are going. The other shortfall I think a lot of us have is we, we, we just kind of do a one and done prayer. Lord, I need this. See you later. You know, and, and, and it's true that God doesn't need us to sort of have these repetitious incantations where we try to drone on and on. And we see that in the old Testament where the prophets would say, no, no, God doesn't, If God is real and God is moving, we don't need to go over and over and over again. But there is something powerful that happens. As people gather and they pray and they pray consistently and constantly because it's in those moments and expanding the number of them and the opportunity that you spend before God, it opens up a door for God to come into. It gives more time to allow us to hear from him. It's like if you were to walk in and ask someone at the office a question, and then as they started to speak, you just closed the door. Well, I'm done. (laughs) I did my part. I asked the question. Here we go. No, God invites us to open the door and keep coming and listening and spending time with him. And I think that's what the early church got right. And what's cool is we see that right in this text that God answered at least one of the prayers of the people. In verses 15 to 17 and 20 to 22, we read these things. In those days, after their, as they're praying, Peter eventually stands up amongst the believers and said, Brothers and sisters, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who was serving as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of the number he shared our ministry. Four... It is written in the book of Psalms, may it be, may his place be deserted and let no one dwell in it and may another take his place. So therefore it was necessary for them to choose a new leader. Now what's happening here is, is that the disciples are, are, are gathering around. They're praying, but they're not just praying and speaking at God, but they're stopping to listen from God. And so what happens is that at some point through this time of prayer, Peter picks up the scriptures that they had at the time, which includes the Psalms, and he sees. Here's what's next. Long ago, David had given and spoken and written down these prophetic words that at some point the Messiah, the chosen one of God, would come for his people, but one of his own would betray him. And that one would go and die and that no one should associate with that. But instead, in the moments after, God would want another leader to take his place. And so the disciples in prayer and in scripture suddenly had an answer. We know what's next. The next thing that God wants us to do is to appoint a new leader, a witness who could Go and and share more about Jesus because, you know, there's only so many of us and there's a whole great wide world that God's calling us to. Jesus told them, I'm going to call you to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. How are we going to do that? We need a few others. And so God answers the prayer and he tells them what they're supposed to be looking for. He moves by his spirit already, even though the Holy Spirit hasn't come like he comes at Pentecost. God speaks to Peter and he knows we need somebody. Somebody who saw Jesus at John's baptism. Someone who was there to the death and resurrection so that that person can go and build a compelling case for Jesus. And so as he moves, they decide to do what's next and to invite God to speak even in the next step. So he's already answered one prayer, here's your next step. And now they come and say, hey, we know the next step, but God lead us in that. And so what they do seems a little bit strange to us, but it was common in their day is they decided to participate in the casting of lots. In verse 23 3 to 26, we read this. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart." So show which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go to where he belongs. So then they casted lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So what we see is God's answered prayer, and he's spoken about what's next, and so the group gathers 120 men and women, and and they decide we need to nominate a couple people. But we also recognize there's going to be some bias in the room. And, and they know that, right? I think that's part of what Peter's saying here. God, when he prays, he says, God, you know the hearts of the people in this room. We don't want this to be about us and what we want and where we think it should go. We don't, this isn't a popularity contest. We want the coolest or, or best speaking or best dressed apostle. No, we want the apostle that you want to call and lead us. And so, what they do is they throw a bunch of names on stones, they shake up a bag and roll the dice, right? No. They spend time stopping and praying. This isn't just an impromptu moment, they lean in in those tough moments and they invite God to speak. You see, they believe truly in the sovereignty of God and in this uncertain circumstance that they find themselves in this time of transition as they make a difficult decision they don't leave any of it up to themselves they say it's you alone god lead us now this bit about casting lots seems a bit strange to us but there's some precedent there's some 88 times in the bible that it talks about casting lots and the tradition of this it could be found in Proverbs 16:33, where it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. What happened in this moment is that the disciples said, God, we don't know who it should be. We know who fits the bill, but only you know the one you're calling. And so what they do is they leave it up for God to decide. Now, an interesting note just for the side is, well, why don't we do this today? this occurred before the Holy Spirit came. We see that this is the last occurrence of casting lots in all of scripture. They didn't have the benefit of the spirit to speak directly to them but now today in this time and place we have the Holy Spirit and we have the fullness of God's word to guide us and so now we don't participate in this way but the principle remains the same that when we find ourselves in times of transition, we need to turn to God to speak to us. We need to invite him in with a a prayer of indifference. God, let it not be about what my preference is, but help me be indifferent to, to the decision so that you can make all the difference by speaking loudly and clearly. When the Holy Spirit comes to indwell our lives, he speaks to us, he guides us, he uses scriptures, just as Jesus said. Jesus said, it's going to be better for you when I'm gone because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be your helper, your guide, and your advocate. So you'll be able to rely on him. It's a shame sometimes when we approach scripture, we look at this and we see it simply as history. We go wow that's a neat story it's cool how God worked it's interesting what the the apostles did that, that, that's neat that there were some people who were in the upper room cool it's nice that they included everyone but we leave it at that we shove it as just a story but as we know from what Paul later would write that all scripture is useful the scripture is useful for us to know how we can navigate these difficult and uncertain times. And I believe the thing that you and I all need to commit ourselves to during this gray zone is to the regular practice of prayer and listening through scripture. This stuff really works. This isn't just something that that that, that happened. Uh, way back when 2,000 years ago let me give you a a more recent story but still an interesting story from history in 1949 in a village just off the the island of Scotland uh, there was a community of people who were facing transition they lived in and, and most of them lived in this village called Barvis And these people were were wrestling through what they were supposed to do. One particular gentleman had felt called to come to the island just to share who Jesus was. And while he only planned a few week journey, he ended up spending several years. But as he came, he came to this place and he said, God, bring other people who would come together with the same mind and heart as me. And together, could we possibly pray so that you can show us what you want to do? And so interestingly, this minister began to pray for revival, but without knowing it, God was doing something incredible. Just over a few streets, there were a couple 80-year-old ladies who couldn't make it to the prayer event, and so they decided to pray. And they prayed in the same heart and the same mind as the minister and the few people who gathered. Well, not only did they all gather, were they all praying in their two uh, separate places, but on the other side of the island, seven men decided, hey, this is a good night to start a prayer ministry. And so those seven men started a prayer ministry, which ended up leading to them praying three times a week. Every week, God, reveal to us what you want for our island. Show us how you want us to know when to go and how to go and how to deal with all this uncertainty and over the matter of the next couple of years thousands of people were saved why were they saved because the people were faithful in the season of transition to regularly go to God together in prayer and as they did that the fruit began to grow what happened back For the apostles and the launching of the early church what happened in 1949 off the coast of scotland can still happen today i genuinely believe it you know i've been listening to a number of pastors who have actually been speaking from around the world lately and one of the messages that has been consistent, and this is pat, one pastor's from Australia, another is from England, and another is from the United States, and there's one uh, from somewhere in South America, and all of them together have been speaking. They said, we believe that there's a movement that's going to happen in the global church and it's going to come out of Canada. We believe that there's something that could stir up in in the heart of what the Canadian church is doing if they would gather and pray to see God's kingdom explode, not just in Canada, but around the world because of what they do. You know, sometimes you hear one voice and one person say that and you go, oh yeah, it's nice for them to say that. But as I've heard this coming from different places, from pastors that I have great respect for, I have come to this conviction that this Will be true? Will we be a part of it? Will we be the people who regularly get together to engage in times of prayer, not just for ourselves, but together with one heart and one mind for our whole community, for our province, for our country, for the world? This is what we're being called to. In this gray season. Arthur Matthews famously said, the spiritual history of a mission or church is written in its prayer life. What's our prayer life church going to say? If you recorded what we're doing, what's it going to have listed? And what's going to come out of that? My hope and my prayer for us as a church is that we're going to, to, to lean into that that we're going to embrace that wholeheartedly and and as a corporate body and community groups in our individual homes that we will regularly be praying and engaged inviting god do what only you can do don't do what i want you to do do what you want to accomplish and use us to do the very same Now, for some of us, that scares us. For some of us, we just don't want to know what to do. And I'm going to use this as an opportunity for a shameless plug. We got a prayer course coming up tonight. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to take opportunity here at the church to to walk through the Lord's Prayer, to learn how we can pray in different ways, how we can be inspired in the imagination of what prayer can be. And we're going to practice that very same thing. And so if you feel uninspired, if you feel perhaps you don't know how to pray, you feel unprepared or unequipped, I would encourage you to join us. It's gonna to happen tonight at seven and, and every week as we go through, we're not just gonna watch a video, we're not just gonna have a discussion, but we're going to get together and pray. We would love to have you. Let us know you're coming so we can have nice seats, but come, take part. Even if you can only make a few of them, join us. We need to make this a regular part of our life because not only does it feel good, but it does good. So let's pray. And then individually, I would encourage every one of us to participate in reading God's scripture through the lens of listening. Sometimes we go to to scripture just to feel like a good Christian. We've all been there, right? It's not just me, right? Like I got to tick this off my list. But the Bible is the living word of God, and we are told that we have been given the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, to guide us, and to give us answers. I want to hear more of you being the Peters in our church who said, Hey, I was looking at the scriptures as we've been praying, and this is what God says we need to do next. And then together we can look at it and go, yeah, that is what it says. And then we can chase after where God is leading us. It's such a shame that we have been given these things by God and we don't use them. It's like we're crawling around on our lawns, cutting the grass with scissors while we have a high-powered motor fueled up and ready to go. You know, one day we might get to the place we want to get to, but it's sure going to be painful. (laughs) And chances are it's going to look a lot more ugly than if we had done it right in the first place. Our hearts should be broken for the fact that there are those in the world going through this transition who have no spirit living within them, who have no living word of God to speak to them who don't know the living creator and sustainer of all life, who is able to move and speak as he hears from us. And so while we need to go and share that, we also need to take utilization of those very gifts that have been given. Why would anyone ever want it if we never use it? Church, I think this is the place that we must go. We must go to embracing a lifestyle, a culture individually and holistically of prayer and the prayerful study of God's word. And as he does that, as we do that, he will do what only he can do. He will speak, he will move, and he will guide us in what we're supposed to do next. And so here's what I want to invite us to do, church. I want to invite us to pray in a couple minutes here we're gonna sing some songs but I don't want us to just sit and and go through the repetition of motion I want us to pray and sing the songs we'll sing I want you to view them as a prayer to lift them up to God and say God this is my heart's posture for you If you want to pray, though, we're also going to have people up at the front. I'm going to invite our elders forward when I pray and a couple other uh, ladies in the church who are phenomenal prayers. And we would invite you, if you want to pray with someone, if you want to align your heart and your mind with someone so that you can pray together for whatever it is you're facing, maybe it's a transition that, that you're experiencing in your personal life, maybe it's just something that's weighing on you from what's going on in the world, come and pray. Be prayed with and be prayed over. Take as much or as little time as you want because we don't want to rush this. So I'm going to pray over our time now. And then I would encourage you to pray back to God through singing of songs and through the participation of prayer at the front. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we invite you to continue to move and speak. But Lord God, now we come to you. We come to you with with hearts that are broken, with hearts that are disoriented about what's going on in our world. And God, we invite you to speak. Lord, whether you choose to to hear us and take pleasing uh, joy from the glory that it brings you, or Lord, whether you choose to speak, Lord, we just want you to, to do what only you can do. God, we know that we have no way forward except through you. And so, Lord God, I just pray over the next few minutes that we would really tangibly sense the fullness of your presence. And, Lord God, will we not take that for granted, but will we reach out to you. And, Lord God, will we feel and hear And know what we need next. We love you, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.